Hello, this is Bob Edwards, and I'm here with my wife Helga. Today we'll be reading Genesis chapter 48 from the New Heart English Bible, beginning at verse 1. And it came about after these things that someone said to Joseph, Look, your father is sick. And taking with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, he went to Jacob. And someone reported to Jacob and said, Look, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel strengthened himself and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Look, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you into Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And your offspring born to you after them will be yours. But in their inheritance they are to be called after the names of their brothers. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died in my sorrow, in the land of Canaan on the journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Please bring them to me, so that I can bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were failing because of his age, so that he couldn't see. Then he brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I did not expect to see your face, but look, God has let me see your offspring as well. Then Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and may my name be carried on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude upon the earth. When Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, 
God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Look, I am about to die, but God will be with you, and God will bring you back from this land to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I give to you one portion more than your brothers, which I took out of the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 48. In Genesis chapter 48 verse 3, the New Heart Bible includes the Hebrew name El Shaddai in its English translation. This is helpful in that the English language of many translations do not accurately represent the message the Hebrew author was likely hoping to communicate. Writing for the Israel Institute of Biblical Studies, Dr. Eli Lazorkin Eisenberg explains, El Shaddai is just one of the many names of God in Hebrew. El means God. The rest, however, is slightly more complicated. In our Bibles, El Shaddai is most often mistakenly translated as God Almighty. The main reason for this stems from an opinion that the Hebrew word Shaddai is connected with the verb Lishdod, which means to destroy or overpower. For example, the Hebrew word for bandit has the same root. El Shaddai does have another meaning though. The word Shad has a much closer grammatical connection to Shaddai, and it means breast. Moreover, when a word ends with I or AI, it almost always means my. So literally, El Shaddai could very well mean God is my breast. If we consider this intriguing imagery as an interpretive possibility, we may see that the breast is one of the key symbols of sustenance and parental love passed on from God, the parent, to humanity, God's child. So instead of God Almighty, El Shaddai should probably be translated God All-Sufficient instead. In his book entitled Christian Holy Days, author Larry D. Edwards points out that the meaning of this title, which God applies to himself, is highlighted in a play on words found in Genesis 49.25, which reads, By the God of your Father, who will help you, by Shaddai, who will bless you, with blessings of the heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Here we see that God, the sufficient provider of all blessings, Shaddai, is directly compared to the blessings of life from the womb and nurturance from the breast. The word for breast here is the Hebrew Shadim. Furthermore, an online wiki correctly indicates that the Greek Septuagint translates Shaddai in several places as Hikanos, meaning sufficient. And one example can be found in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. God is referred to as El Shaddai in today's reading of Genesis 48, in the context of his promise to grant the man named Israel many descendants. Specifically, verse 4 in the New Heart translation tells us that Israel's descendants will be a great, quote, company of peoples, unquote. The name El Shaddai is used earlier in the book of Genesis with regard to Abraham and Sarah, in a similar context. 
in Genesis chapter 17, God promises that Abraham will be the, quote, father of a multitude of nations, unquote. As Larry D. Edwards has indicated, this blessing of numerous offspring compares God's provision to the gift of life from the womb. In both Genesis 17, regarding Abraham, and Genesis 48, regarding Israel, the promise of numerous offspring is tied to faith in the miraculous intervention of God. For instance, Abraham and Sarah were promised children when both were well advanced in years. Abraham was 100, and Sarah was 90 years old. In the context of Genesis chapter 48, the story revolves around Joseph, who was miraculously born to Rachel, Israel's second wife, who was barren. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, we find the beautiful passage where God blesses Rachel with a child because he remembered her and listened to her request. So, when we see the name El Shaddai in the Bible, it can be helpful to remember this is likely a comparison of God to a mother who gives life and nurturance to her offspring. We can also remember in the case of Joseph's mother that a miracle happened when God remembered and listened to a woman. In Genesis chapter 48, we also see an example of God ignoring the ancient human tradition that gave preference to firstborn sons. Just as the younger Jacob inherited the birthright of his older brother Esau in Genesis chapter 25, so too is the younger son of Joseph named Ephraim given preference over his older brother named Manasseh. In both cases, God chose to bless and favor the younger offspring in direct contradiction to the human traditions of the day. One of the traditional rites of firstborn sons was to inherit a double portion of a deceased parent's estate. The apparent intent of this custom was to give the strongest and most experienced male offspring the resources to care for his siblings. Throughout the Bible, however, we see that God discourages his people from trusting in human strength. In Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24, for instance, we read, Thus says the Lord, Do not let the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Do not let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he has understanding and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Patriarchal tradition trusts in the supposed wisdom, strength, and wealth of the firstborn male of the family. God, however, has no need for these supposed strengths. He can do whatever he wishes through whomever he chooses. And so, despite having older brothers, David was chosen to defeat a giant named Goliath when David was armed only with a sling and some smooth stones. Despite the presence of male princess in Judges 5 verses 2 and 9, Deborah was chosen as a prophet and leader in Israel. And it was by the hand of a woman named Jael that Israel was delivered from the leader of an invading army. 
Jacob inherited his older brother Esau's birthright, just as Joseph's youngest son was shown favor by God over his older brother Manasseh. Also, it is important to recognize that both of Joseph's sons are treated like children, direct descendants of the man named Israel. They are not treated as grandchildren. In other words, Joseph and his family would receive the double portion of the estate that, according to patriarchal tradition, should have gone to Israel's firstborn son named Reuben. Reuben, however, disqualified himself from receiving this inheritance through an act of incestuous adultery. According to tradition, Simeon and Levi would have been next in line for the double inheritance. They too, however, disqualified themselves through an act of murder through which they slaughtered all the men of a particular community to exact vengeance for one man's crime. These brothers also abducted and enslaved all the women and children of that community. According to 1 Chronicles 5 verse 2 and Joshua 17 verses 17 to 18, we see that the roles of the firstborn son were divided between the tribe of Judah and the family of Joseph. Judah was given decision-making authority and the sons of Joseph were given two portions of the land promised to Israel and his descendants. As is often the case, this somewhat complicated biblical story involving a family and its descendants can be an object lesson teaching us how God relates to human beings. Though Reuben, Simeon, and Levi were first in line for power and authority, according to patriarchal tradition, God passed over them in favor of Judah and Joseph. Why is this significant? For two reasons. First of all, Judah is symbolic of repentance. Though he first applied a double standard to men and women by calling for his daughter-in-law to be put to death for sexual sin, he repented when confronted with his own sexual sin. In Genesis 38, verse 25 and 26, he rightly declared, quote, She is more righteous than I, end of quote. Though they were both involved in the same sexual scandal, Judah declared that his sin was greater. He also demonstrated repentance by never repeating the sin he was rightfully accused of. The story of Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar is the subject of one of our earlier podcasts. Judah also repented of selling Joseph into slavery, offering to go into slavery himself to spare Joseph's younger brother Benjamin from the same fate. This story is also the subject of an earlier podcast. And so Judah, through his conduct, is a symbol of repentance. Joseph is a symbol of faith in the promises of God. He was born miraculously when his barren mother's prayers were heard by God. He also faithfully clung to dreams from God that he would one day be granted a position of leadership even over his father and older brothers. This prophetic dream came true when God worked through him, the younger brother of a barren mother, sold into slavery and wrongly thrown into prison. God worked through him to save his family and the people of Israel. What are the lessons we can learn from this family? The all-sufficient God, El Shaddai, does not rely on or respect human wisdom, strength, or tradition. 
As the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 3.19, quote, The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, end of quote. And as Jesus taught in Mark 1 verse 15, salvation from God comes only through repentance and faith.